Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto. In today's episode, I interviewed Dr. Alice Zhang, who is the Women's Health Practice Leader at McKinsey. Alice has a long history of working in women's health, having started as a clinician and then a public health practitioner in East Africa and Asia, specializing in reproductive health. Today, she tells us what is trending in femtech. Again, if you have never heard this podcast before, femtech is technology that improves women's health and wellness, does not have to do with being a female founder, has to do with the industry. And Alice has a lot of fascinating statistics for us. Um, She is all about the data. And as you know, I love the data. And so I figured I'd kick off this episode with five facts, statistical facts about women's health. Unfortunately, they're all kind of sad, but you know, that's, these are the kind of facts we need to know about for there to be any change. So number one, maternal mortality in the U.S. has increased by 50% from 1990 to 2013. Number two, there are over 2 million new cervical and breast cancer diagnoses each year. Number three, Only 25% of clinical trials report gender-specific results. So what that means is that they're not even specifying if the drug is working well for a man or for a woman, and we know that the metabolism of these individuals are different. So the fact that only 25% are reporting the gender is important here. Number four, one in three clinical trial subjects for cardiovascular disease are female. Number five, only about 5% total, uh, uh, 5% of the total pharmaceutical pipeline products are in women's health. So only 5% of pharmacy, you know, pharmaceutical development is going specifically for women. That is insane. Obviously, folks, we have a lot of work to do in women's health and wellness. And I'm super grateful for firms like McKinsey and doctors like Alice who are taking the lead and making a difference. Enjoy the interview. Alice, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is one of my favorite topics. I'm always happy to to talk about women's health. Um, I'll also say that for me, it's uh, it's multifactorial. There's the clinical component, public health component, business, and just personally, I'm uh, very uh, immersed in all of this. I've I've done a lot of IVF cycles. I'm currently 39 weeks pregnant and about to yeah. experience more of women's health. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, really love digging into this topic. Yeah. Um, you spoke at hit lab and that is where I initially saw you and I was like, that lady knows what is happening. You had all these graphs and data <laughs> and the scientist in me just loved it. I said, Oh my God, we have to have her on the show. Awesome. Thank you. Well, I'd love to start with your background. Our listeners love to know about the guest's personal journey because most of us didn't, you know, in, you know, even in high school say we wanted to do femtech, right? So what was your journey? Mm-hmm. Where are you from? What did you study? And how did you end up in this space? Sure. 
Uh, so my family is originally from China, and we moved to Michigan when I was a toddler, so grew up there. Uh, in college, I was committed to uh, you know, pre-med. Um, that's where I wanted to really invest my time. I imagined becoming a clinician. Along the way, I got really interested in public health, actually, and the ideas of uh, not just health of individuals, but of societies, and was really drawn to underserved populations. And so um, through my public health work, I ended up spending time working on maternal health in East Africa with a condition called obstetric fistula, where women uh, get stalled in, in childbirth, they lack care in rural areas, mm. and they end up with a pretty devastating condition, um, won't go into well, actually, we can go into detail. This is a femtech podcast. Oh, yeah, we can but, go into uh, detail you know, here. Women, <laughs> women get stuck in labor. It causes um, tissue damage and, and death, and they end up with um, opening between their bladder or their rectum and their vagina, and so they're leaking um, urine yeah. uh, or feces. Um, so it's, it was pretty terrible. Wow. And so that really kicked off the idea of you know, women's health from an underserved population perspective. Mm. And then I continued to work in global public health on family planning. Um, and this was um, more in Asia, um, working with um, certain underserved populations there, such as migrant workers and their sexual and reproductive health. Um, in medical school, uh, I was fairly certain that I would become an OBGYN, so continued mm. um, some of that research uh, and, again, was very much clinically and public health focused. Um, never imagined myself on, on the business side. I, I think at one point in my life, I had written off all, all of that and said, mm. you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm on a soapbox. I'm going to be a doctor in rural yeah. Africa somewhere. Mm. Um, and I realized that actually the business world makes the world turn actually. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. the lot that you can learn from the private sector to apply into the public sector. So I ended up going to business school. Um, from there, got into consulting and realized that in consulting, I can actually work with um, different types of organizations. So I, I work with pharma companies, I work with health systems, with global health organizations, and you know, there's everyone's playing a different role in the ecosystem, mm -hmm. but it's really exciting to be at the intersection where I can take my clinical skills, the business skills, um, and, and put them all together um, in, in a way to advance um, different types of agendas. And for me, one of the top agendas is, is, in, is in women's health. So it, it's a theme that's been there throughout my career uh, in kind of these different sectors. And as I mentioned, now also very personal to me. I'm getting mm. to experience a lot of these innovations and yeah. tools and solutions myself, which is which has been fun <laughs> for, yeah. for sure. Um, and, and yeah, and happy to dig into this anytime. Wow, this is amazing. What a what a dynamic background, you know, but nevertheless, women were always kind of that foundational piece throughout the whole thing. That's mm -hmm. incredible. What how do you define women's health besides uh, disease and conditions that afflict only women? How else do you define it? Sure. Yeah. And, and this is an interesting question. And the reason, you know, I've, I've given this a bit of thought and, you know, if, if, if anyone was at the Hit Lab event, you probably saw a slide outlining all the different types of things is people use this term differently to mean different things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of femtech today does focus a lot on specific conditions that are 
um, female only. So across the reproductive cycle from contraception through to fertility, if you just kind of think about the, the mm-hmm. lifespan of a woman, um, if you choose maternal health um, and then, you know, menopause and, and such. Um, but actually, if you take a step back, uh, you know, the health of women is, is actually more than that. Mm-hmm. And so when we say women's health, it, it means a lot of things. And it's actually quite large in scope in population and and in market size too, if you're thinking from the business perspective, because you have that whole reproductive journey, but then you also have um, women's cancers, for example, Mm -hmm. and, you know, are we treating that enough? Do we, are we innovating there? And then there's conditions that aren't just about, that don't only affect women that um, are also um, unmet needs in areas to further advance so there's diseases that affect women more, such as autoimmune diseases, Alzheimer's disease. Those, those um, you know, there's there's more women than men affected. Uh, we don't totally understand why. Uh, and then there's also areas where women are affected differently. And mm. you know, when our medical convention is based on um, the male anatomy and the male body, then there's a lot of room to go here. And so, prime example is with cardiovascular disease which manifests differently in women. And for many years, everybody was taught um, based on the symptoms of heart attacks in men. And this actually is a pervasive theme through a lot of biomedical research from early stage animal models that are being used to study diseases and drug treatments all the way through to um, developing drugs and the trials that you run there. Um, So if if we take a step back, women's health is, is really broad and really big. It's hard to innovate on uh, on the latter half that I talked about than on the the, the, the first half, mm-hmm. um, but it's all important and um, it all speaks to different ways that we can really improve the health and lives of women. That's so interesting because when I started Femtech Focus, one of the things I had to sit with, and honestly, I haven't drawn the line yet. I don't know what it is, but... Um, you know, I worked with one founder uh, at my VC firm and she has a medical device that um, helps with headaches. And she said, Mm -hmm. oh, mine is Femtech. And I was like, oh, no, like, that's not it's, you know, and she said, well, the vast majority, about 80% of people who go to the hospital for headaches are women. And I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, okay, maybe headaches (laughs) is Femtech, you know, and I started to ask myself, like, is it two thirds, you know, it's like, if it affects two thirds of a of, of women uh, versus one third of men, is that femtech? But you know, you bring up a great point that even if it's only ten percent of women, you know, ten percent of the people affected are women. If they are exhibiting signs differently than men, we should look at that. Mm-hmm. If their medication or treatment for the women is different than how it should be treated in men, we should look at that, even if it's only a small percentage. So it's, it is interesting. And then sometimes I'm also like, all right, are we in over our heads? Cause then I could just say everything is femtech, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And and it's also an interesting overlap between the term, you know, femtech and and women's health. Uh So in the same way that, you know, women's health people use it to mean different slivers or slices or the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel the same with femtech, you know, depending on which report you look at or which article, uh, there's different types of definitions. Yeah. But no matter how you cut it, it's an area with increasing focus, increased investment and excitement. And all of that gives me a lot of promise that um, that we're we're moving forward in the right direction. Yeah. I love it. What are some other areas that that are have unmet needs for women's health? 
Sure. Um, so, you know, if we if we look at different, uh, you know, different specific conditions, and so I'll go back to the mm-hmm. women only ones, um, there, there's a lot of room here for innovation. So contraceptives, for example, uh, we've had the same types of hormonal methods for the past 50, 60 years mm-hmm. in different forms, you know, pill form, IUD form, implant form. But at the end of the day, they're all hormonal. Uh, from a market perspective, there is a lot of generics, so it's not a very attractive area for, you know, for most pharma companies, it's not the top of their agenda to, to innovate here. But at the same time, we know that half of the pregnancies in the U.S., for example, are unplanned. So mm-hmm. people are using things, but it doesn't seem to be working super well. And yeah. we don't have yeah. great options beyond yeah. hormonal ones. And if you think about some other conditions, such as endometriosis, it's a very common condition that, depending on which report you read, you know, affects up to one in ten women with debilitating pain. You know, only you know, only recently in the past year or two have we had new treatments, um, you know, come to market for that. Mm-hmm. Before, for for decades, it was you know, repurposing other things like oral contraceptives or just, or just taking pain medications. Yeah. And the way that we diagnose it, um, you know, it's you know, based on symptoms, but the only confirmatory diagnosis is a laparoscopy, meaning you have to cut your body open. And so, oh, wow. you know, here's a condition that is um, quite common, but um, not receiving a lot of attention, not really being innovated on. And our scientific understanding is, is just, it's just lacking. Um, this is changing, which, which is great. But if you, it's almost like if you look at any specific segment in women's health, um, there's something um, that something left to be done and in the room to go. Yeah, that's right. Well, I know you work specifically in innovation and, you know, consulting the biggest names out there on how to improve, you know, their products and their services. So can you talk to us about the landscape of innovation across different sectors like pharmaceuticals, health services, delivery? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, we think about solutions that will, you know, help women and their health. It can come in different forms. There's pharmaceuticals, which means, you know, drugs and, you know, drugs as treatments. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, uh, there's a growing sector that's more consumer focused, um, femtech, um, which mm-hmm. we could talk a lot about since this podcast is on femtech. Um, and there's also things you can do in terms of how you deliver care mm-hmm. um, as, as well. And there's lots of different types of solutions. And when we take a step back and look at all of that, you know, what, what comes to mind first for many, many people is, well, what are the new drug treatments? And when we look at this area, actually, you know, women's health is often seen as a bit of a niche area by the big players. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, there's definitely some biotechs that are leading the way here with, um, you know, innovating, um, you know, new contraceptives or new treatments for different conditions. But by and large, it's, it's not something that um, you see a lot of activity on. Uh, other areas such as oncology and rare disease um, really are at the forefront of the innovation agenda. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but women's health um, actually isn't. However, uh, this the whole femtech notion. Um, so let's you know if we if we don't think about the drug treatments, but think about other types of solutions. Um, femtech, uh, you know, defined in different ways, but you know perhaps most broadly technologies that improve female health. Um, this is a huge growing area with a lot of different solutions being born um, to address 
to address women's health that includes diagnostics, that includes mm-hmm. um, apps and digital solutions, uh, includes some medical devices. And it, it's really exciting to see how quickly that's grown and the burgeoning um, investment and, and innovation here. Yeah, that actually leads me to one of my favorite parts about your talk was all those graphs of showing the you know historical data of the femtech industry and where we're at now. And the graphs, the data are showing us that femtech is is really booming. You know, it's like all the graphs are like going up, you know. And so can you talk to us about what has potentially been the reason um, behind the femtech growing over the these years? Sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm sure it's multifactorial and in my opinion, just one opinion and others Mm -hmm. might have, might have different ones. But to me, it it feels like this is an area that is, um, has been underserved, um, hasn't received a ton of attention across, you know, other sectors that are typically the ones leading, you know, innovations and solutions and women are demanding more. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of trends around, you know, rising female empowerment, um, where women are starting are innovating more, they're they're getting more funding. Um, we know that you know there's not enough women in the in the room making investment decisions, but but it's it's changing, mm-hmm. and all of that paves the way. Uh, of course, not only women are innovating here, men are as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it's a helpful factor. And there's also other trends like the rise of consumer health and digital health, mm-hmm. personalized medicine that says, hey, we you know. We, we actually want care that's tailored to us. Um, yes. So those are helpful trends as well. Uh, and also finally, just the ability to say certain words um, in seriousness in fundraising, for example, or in the media to change a conversation yeah. such that it's not stigmatized to talk about um, sex or vaginas or your pelvic floor and all of the things that can happen to your body, um, you know, in certain parts of your body that, that may have been uncomfortable to talk about before the ability to have that conversation and have, you know, have, have it with, you know, people who are making decisions and in, in investments um, that has really helped a lot. I also think that having a term to rally around has been terrifically helpful. Mm. So the fact that the word femtech was coined, um, you know, it, it's, you know, it's it's catchy. It's um, it, it it gives people something to to hold on to and to promote. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, depending on who you're, you know, what source you're looking at, femtech's defined differently. Mm-hmm. But but honestly, it, it that's okay because it's it's a it's a marker for women's health. And um, having having that as a platform um, to have conversations is is a really great thing. Yeah, definitely. What did you, cause you've been in this industry longer than I have. What did people, did people just call it women's health and wellness before Femtech was coined? Yeah, I, I would say so. And in, in general, um, so for example, I, I've had a Google alert, um, you know, Google, what is it called? Google digest alert mm-hmm. on, on Femtech and women's health for some time now. And I still remember where you know, there would be an article once in a while about women's health or femtech, and things just started to change, you know, a year and a half or so ago, where, you know, just there's more and more discussions and advocacy around the topic. Yeah. And even from a data perspective, there really wasn't a lot of information on, mm-hmm. you know, you know, on what, you know, what is femtech and how, how big is the market? How, how big are the investments? Uh, you know, only a few years ago, there was um, a, a figure that was cited pretty widely 
that this is a $50 billion market. This is you know, from, from one market research firm. And that was the only thing for multiple years. Mm. Uh, and it was you know, based on like, um, you know, what kind of a short report. And now I get multiple, there's just like multiple articles a day. There's like multiple companies trying to define the market shape, mm-hmm. you know, uh, not shape, but um, project how large it is. Uh, and all of that just speaks to more of this external excitement. And also that this is, um, there's valid business models here. Mm-hmm. This is not just a, you know, this is not just about advocacy and getting in a soapbox, but um, this is something the whole world should pay attention to whether whether you are a clinician or you're an investor, um, you know, whatever part of the ecosystem you play in, this is something important to pay attention to. Yeah. Well, speaking of trends, what are some trends you're seeing in femtech innovation? And I would love to know um, some statistics if you can share in terms of like, do we know how many femtech companies and what countries they're coming out of? Um, Is there a leader in this? How much money is going into it? Stuff like that. Sure. Yeah. So, um, so we had done a, uh, a landscape scan about a year ago. Mm-hmm. So things have changed a lot since then. So <laughs> I, I can cite a couple of things, but they, the, I'm sure the world has changed yeah. um, since since this was done. And and again, the good news is that there are more and more groups that are doing research here and mm-hmm. are doing projections um, to to really provide some like robust um, market views. Um, but when we looked at this, we considered a couple of different elements. Um, so earlier we talked about the different uh, types of women's health areas. And so one was looking at, well, you know, what buckets do these um, innovations fall under? Mm-hmm. Are they addressing fertility or um, contraceptives or, you know, what, what type, what part of the women's health spectrum? And we found a lot in a couple so um, in, uh, in terms of gynecological, pelvic, and sexual health, there was a ton going on here, um, a lot of it driven by um, period care, things like organic tampons, um, or their menstrual care solutions um, that we were seeing, um, as well as a lot of digital solutions. So mm-hmm. the, all of their period tracking apps um, that also include different types of patient education, for example, um, and then pelvic floor um, devices and um, to, to really help you know, women take control of that part of their body. Mm-hmm. That was one area that had a lot of investment. Another one is um, in fertility. Mm-hmm. Um, this also ranges um, those, lots of different flavors here, everything from you know, ability to track your cycles monthly or your ovulation at mm-hmm. home to help you conceive. And that way to um, advance science that might help with medical interventions for fertility and um, or just fertility education, a ton of activity there. Um, and also, um, I would say maternal health was another area where we saw a lot of excitement and a lot of innovation, um, everything from things to use in pregnancy, things to help you with your labor delivery experience and process um, through breastfeeding and even parenting in, in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are in, ter- in terms of topic area, there are some hot spots that, that we saw. And um, other types of trends would be, um, you know, what are, you know, what are these startups accomplishing, and and why mm. um, why do they have a value proposition? Mm-hmm. And I would say that the dominant themes here are around disrupting women's healthcare, mm-hmm. like how we seek care and receive care, as well as this idea of empowerment um, is is very core and central. So yeah. empowering women to take control of their health. 
to be able to access prescriptions, um, you know, medications such as birth control, or get, uh, you know, get tested, have diagnostics done in a way that they can take control of when and how they receive that. It doesn't mean that there's no doctor involved. There's, you know, there's still clinical oversight, but you are able to take charge of, of your health. Um, I would say a lot of the different wearables and, and apps also do the same thing where it gives you information about your health so that you, you are, you are more empowered, mm-hmm. which is really exciting. And in terms of disrupting care delivery, um, there's, there's also, um, really exciting themes around, you know, women centric clinics, for example, um, that, uh, or, or even, um, an entire health center that's again, not dressing just the female specific areas, but holistic women's health. It's kind of a, it's like a one-stop shop for you to go for all of your needs. Um, that's, you know, that, that's actually, um, you know, really exciting to, to see. Did so you, there's, oh, go ahead. did you notice certain countries that were kind of, you know, having most of the companies coming out of, or is it kind of evenly diluted throughout the world? Um, I would say that for what we're able to observe and probably was just in Western media more, uh, a lot coming out of the U.S. Yeah. And, um, and and in Europe. Yeah. Uh, this There could be also bias because, you know, there, the different sources that mm-hmm. do track startups mm-hmm. and just media and press in general are, my guess, probably weighted more towards these areas. Um, so, so for us, you know, when we looked at the landscape here, definitely, you know, U.S., Europe led, and within the U.S., we, we see, unsurprisingly, the coast kind of being the um, the areas where a lot of these startups um, are founded. Yeah, and um, the, there is there there is activity in other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a little bit harder to have visibility into that makes um, sense. for language reasons, or if um, you know press and media just isn't covering those That's regions. Right. Um, as much. Yeah. The other thing is that, you know, having an ecosystem is really helpful. So if you're an entrepreneur wanting to innovate here, it's, it'll, it'll be helpful to you to have a community of other folks who Mm -hmm. are maybe other founders, other entrepreneurs, incubators that will support you, women's focused VCs that will fund you. So having all of those things in place can be really helpful. Um, And, you know, perhaps that that just happens to be uh, a little bit more, a little further along in certain parts of the world. Yeah, makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, like the methodology behind pulling that data isn't necessarily, you can't say like, oh, they're all here. It just is like, no, well, TechCrunch is just very popular here and they publish five times a day, you know, so that's can bias mm-hmm. the data there. What what yeah. is the trends you're seeing in femtech investment? Are there more investors mm-hmm. getting into it? Is more money going into it? Yeah, de- definitely. And so there's a couple of different sources for this, and they'll show different numbers. But no matter which source you look at, the the trend line is the same, which is um, a nice uh, nice steep increase mm-hmm. over the last three to five years, I would say. And so from one source that we looked at when we, um, this is from PitchBook, and we had specifically looked at 300 startups that we classified as femtech, mm-hmm. um, we found about half a billion invested um, in, in 2018, for wow. example, um, in, into femtech. And so if you look at other sources, they're higher numbers even. Um, so it's, you know, again, I, I think how high, what the number actually is depends on what you consider in or out of scope. but mm-hmm. 
whatever your definition is, the, the trend that you see is um, very high increase um, over the past you know, three to five years. And uh, what's exciting here is that there's not just uh, you know, a growth in women's health and female founder-focused funds, which is definitely a helpful factor, but even traditional um, VCs and investors are getting into this space. Mm-hmm. And that's important because you know, for the early investors, they want to see that there's interest from others, so they have co-investors, mm-hmm. and that you know there's future, you know, this, the next rounds can be raised with by somebody else, um, and that there, you know, there's there's a path forward here. Yeah. And one thing to note, you know, in such an exciting space is it is very new. Um, there's mm-hmm. still a lot to be proven um, in terms of how sustainable are some of these business models. What is the right business model? Um, you know, wh- where will this field go? So, you know, we've had so many positive indicators that it's really exciting. It's growing a lot. Um, it's a great space to um, pay attention to. Um, there, you know, there, it, it is still young. It yeah. is very nascent. What do you think the femtech industry needs to continue on this trajectory? Yeah. So I would say um, there's, in terms of just opportunities in, in general, mm-hmm. there's a couple different ways to think about it. So for the companies that do exist today, so you know, there's a bit around you know business models and figuring out you know what is going to to work in, in the long run, especially for for example, um, you know, if you have um, a free product or a freemium product today, you know, how will you monetize that in a sustainable way um, moving forward? And in some of the areas are actually getting a little bit crowded, and mm-hmm. so if you are you know the you know 20th app for you know, period tracking, you know, what is, um, you know, how are you differentiated um, from the others? And, you know, what is your unique value proposition? I think there's a bit um, of room to go to go there. And I'd also say that in general, there's been a lot of positive reaction to innovation here. Um, of course, as with any sector, you want to be Know, careful about uh, certain things like consumer data privacy, mm-hmm. especially, you know, we're bringing in a lot of health tech and digital health, which has a lot of personal information be included and, and data is a big piece of that. Um, and, and also, how do we innovate in a way that's inclusive to different populations? And so, um, you know, there's, there's a lot, for example, around um, fertility solutions. Um, not everyone wants to start a family. And so, you know, is your, is your product, um, you know, inclusive of different, um, folks and, and different, um, kind of different backgrounds. Yeah. Well, you know, when I think about femtech, I see all of these different touch points. There's the getting people excited about it and starting a company. There's the helping them grow the company. It's getting them investment, scaling it, and then that last part is the exit. And I have been mulling over in my head thinking, I want to help the femtech industry in all these different parts, right? How do I help femtech exits? Because we need exits for the entire cycle to be supported, right? right? And so do you see big enterprise companies interested in acquiring femtech companies? If, uh, you know, and if not, how do we get them to want to buy them? Yeah, absolutely. That, that's a very, that's a very, very important piece of the puzzle mm-hmm. to continue the excitement and, and the investment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would say, you know, in the past couple of years, there's been a, a couple notable um, 
successful exits that we've seen. Um, actually, I think in one of your earlier podcasts, you, you covered that you know there was an IPO for one of the fertility mm-hmm. startups. Um, there's been a couple of acquisitions uh, from you know larger strategic corporate players that have done well as well. Mm-hmm. So one example is um, P&G acquiring a company called This Is L in Period Care. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then another one is... Uh, it's women's oncology diagnostic company called Envision, which was mm-hmm. acquired by Boston Scientific. So those two are almost like the the poster children mm-hmm. of uh, of actual from of, of exits in terms of being acquired. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't I haven't personally seen um, too much else yet. As, mm-hmm. as mentioned, it's a pretty nascent field in general. Um, if a lot of these companies were only founded in the past, you know three to five years it's you know they 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 may not be positioned um quite yet for for that kind of strategic acquisition um but that is a potential um future option the other the other promising piece is that uh different you know companies um you know large companies are paying attention they they have business development um departments that are looking at um, th- looking at new innovations, whether they are thinking about potential acquisitions or maybe investing or, or partnering, um, you know, having having the attention of larger companies uh, is, you know, is, is always a promising sign. Um, and, you know, there are instances of partnerships between mm. some of these like larger incumbents and some startups, um, which, you know, which can really pave the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but absolutely agree. It's a really part, important part of the puzzle. Um, and it is it's still a little bit early to see yeah. um, where a lot of these will go. Yeah. You know, I uh, once I did a reverse pitch competition where I actually had VCs and angels pitch to founders about what they were looking for. Mm-hmm. And I have this dream of doing a reverse pitch from M&A department leads to companies about what they're looking for for their portfolio for uh, mergers, acquisitions. It's it's a dream. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to manifest it by yeah. saying it on record, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think I think that's great. If we look at the ecosystem, there's definitely a lot of different types of resources for for innovation. But I don't think a lot of folks have done too much yeah. on on that end of it mm-hmm. to to see what's possible. Yeah. Well, Alice, this has been such a fun conversation. You are a plethora of knowledge on this industry, and I am so grateful to have your thought leadership and your brain power on our podcast today. Um, really, really grateful for your time. Yeah, thank you so much again for having me. We'd love to continue the conversation with you or anyone else who's interested in any time. Please, please find me on LinkedIn and we'd love to love to connect. Awesome. I'm sure by the time this airs, you are uh, going to have a baby. So I'm glad we caught <laughs> you just in time. <laughs> and I, I will be trying out some of the hands-free breast pumps and devices and, <laughs> yes. and everything else. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Alice. Thanks. Thank you for listening to my interview with Dr. Alice Sang, who is the Women's Health Practice Leader at McKinsey. I hope you learned as much as I did from Alice. I loved how much data she had, all the statistics, all day. But unfortunately, a lot of these statistics were kind of sad and, um, you know, just just shows the urgency and the importance of femtech and research in women's health and, you know, um, just investment into this, both intellectual investment and, you know, financial investment. There's a lot of things we, we can improve on. 
One of the more shocking statistics for me was that half of pregnancies in the U.S. are unplanned. That blew my mind. We have so many forms of contraceptive, but obviously it is not working. More than half of them, unplanned. We've had the same hormonal contraceptive for women for over 50 years, so obviously it is time to innovate contraceptive. Let's get a birth control pill for men or a non-hormonal birth control or, you know, just we got to come up with something, y'all, because this is crazy. Um, And for those who are wondering, um, Alice had a very healthy and beautiful baby girl right after our interview, practically. Her name is Azaria. And uh, we are so lucky that we were able to get Alice on record before she had her baby. We got pictures. She's so cute, y'all. All right. Well, that's our episode for today. I want to remind you to register for the upcoming Women's Health Innovation Summit. It's a four-day event, September 14th, 15th, 21st, and 22nd. And I want to let you know that we actually have a promo code for you. Get 10% off your registration with the promo code um, FOCUS10. FOCUS10. F-O-C-U-S-1-0. FOCUS10. 10% off. Um, Get your tickets at womenshealthinnovationusa.com. All right, y'all. Support the podcast. Share it with your friends. Share it with your network. Put it on your LinkedIn. Put it on your Facebook. Tweet us. um, Subscribe, rate, and review to the show. Follow us on social. We post the cool stuff all the time. We're like giving away tickets for stuff. Like y'all have got to follow us on social. We're on all the channels at Femtech Focus. And until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.